This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. There can be only one. This is the start of part two. If you haven't listened to part one, do jump back into your podcast app and select it. But for those who have already listened to part one, here is part two. So when you start, because Graham Taylor's kind of rebuilding the England team a bit after 1990, Keith Curl and Nigel Martin made their debuts at the same time as you. Are you thinking, I could be central to this kind of next England team? Well, I never really got ahead of myself, right, because... There were players better than me, but I, I always thought that there was nobody better than me in the Premier League that did what I did, yeah. right? Central midfield player that can get from box to box is essential, yeah. who can drop in and play at the back, and there's very few players in the, in the country that can do that now. Yeah. So I knew I knew what I could bring to the table, and so I always, I always go one game at a time. If yeah. I always look at it, if you play well in a game, then there's no reason why you shouldn't get picked for the next game. I mean, I didn't get picked for England because I didn't play well. In fact, the last game I played for England, I got man of the match against Holland. But I I didn't get picked for England because Terry Venables took over as the England manager and it was all the press thing. So it was the done thing not to pick Carlton Palmer. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because I I never really had a, a good relationship with the press because I always believed the press were there to print news, not make news. So I never took any money off them and I've never really given them the time of day, to be honest yeah. with you. So they would always look for an opportunity to knock me, which they did. But I'm, I can't be broken by a newspaper because at the end of the day, they can they can say whatever they want to say to me. They can say, I'm the worst player to ever play for England. Well, they contradict themselves in saying what they're saying because I played for England for basically since I was 21 years of age. So... They're saying there's a lot of bad players who played for England then, if I keep getting selected. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd say you played for England during the, probably the, the worst kind of relationship between the press and the England team. Graham Taylor's reign, yeah. uh, and especially the World Cup qualifying for the World Cup in 1994. You were there throughout that yeah. period. What did it feel like as a player in that squad? Because they were on to Taylor. Like, it was unrelenting, really personal stuff, and for the team as well. How did that affect the team? Well, there's a lot of things that went wrong, right? First of all, the press didn't understand the team that before was finished. So that's The Lineker era. The, the, the Lineker, um, you know, Mark Wright, all of these guys were coming to the end. Stuart Pearce, Waddle, Beardsley, all of these players were now all together coming out the England team. So it was a young, 
England team that was going to be Alan Shearer just made his debut and it was it was like they never gave it a chance and then coupled with that there was renovation going on at Wembley and it, it could have worked out but it didn't work out because we had to play the I think the first three games at home and then play away from home then at the end of the season when you've got like Arsenal Sheffield Wednesday I can't tell you how many games we played that season and then we've got to play back-to-back games away from home to qualify. It's, it, it, it was yeah. never going to happen. And still to this day, the press don't understand, right? I mean, OK, they've, they've now introduced a winter break. But if you've got your top players and take money aside, because money doesn't mean anything. Just because you've got loads of money and earn loads of money doesn't mean you're not tired. If you're Gerrard and you're Lampard and you're playing in the Champions League and you're playing in the, in the Premier League and you're chasing the league title and you're John Terry and you're Rio Ferdinand, you're playing 70-odd 70, 70 games a season, right? Then you finish the season and then got to go into a training camp to go to a World Cup or European Championships. It's impossible. So the clubs that do well, if you look at uh, Spain, right, in their league, half the games are gimmies. 6 0, 7 0. When does that happen in Premier League? Yeah. Even now, you go to Norwich on a Tuesday night, it's going to be a tough game. Yeah. It doesn't happen. So the press don't understand that and then give the lads stick for not doing well in major championships. But that is one of the major reasons why we don't do well because at the end of the season, having played that amount of games, well, well, if you look at the players who've come from the World Cup and then come to the UK, how many of them struggled in the Premier League? Yeah. Quite a few. Because it, it, it's that adjustment to the... Pre- it's not like, you know, you can play in Italy or Holland or whatever and, you know, you've got games if you play for a top team that are gimmies. It's just the Premier League's not like that. Did Graham Taylor work the team too hard in those kind of international breaks? He was quite a regimented, he's like a heavy yeah, no, trainer, wasn't no, he? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I think it's just circumstances and the media took it to another level because whatever happens, right, football's important to me. But it is not as important as life and death. And the way they ridiculed Graham on the front page... And what I don't like is they're fucking hypocrites because they're not even man enough to put their hands up because when he died, they're all saying all these nice things about him and he was genuinely a nice man. He was a genuine nice man. Okay, things didn't work out for him at England. They didn't need to ridicule him and his family like that. They didn't need to do that. And even when he died, instead of putting their hands up and saying, well, yeah, we were a bit arsed, they were trying to justify why they did what they did. They didn't, because it's personal. And nobody has a right, just because you're in in the public eye, nobody has a right to make it personal about what you do. Deal with the facts. Deal with the facts he's not winning football matches. He didn't qualify for the World Cup. Don't make it personal. Would you read the newspapers when you were away with England? Would the team look no, kind of get up in the morning or were they... No, I didn't... None of you. Listen, I'm one of these people. If I don't know you, right, and you don't know me and you don't know nothing about the game, why the fuck would I give a shit what you write about me? <laughs> why, why would I? Yeah. You know, if it's different if an ex-footballer or somebody I know who knows the game comes and says something yeah. to me, but they, w- they wouldn't say it in the way that the newspapers do because yeah. they've got more respect and they've got more knowledge of the game. You know, at the end of the day, more for these players who pick up newspapers and, and read what the media say. You know what you've done. You know what you're doing. You know if you have it. We all go through bad spells of football. Get your head down, work hard and come through the other side. Yeah. The problem that you've got now, and this is what happened... When I was playing, or started playing, the working-class people weren't a million miles from us. So my mate who owned a business, who who was my best man, and I was at Sheffield Wednesday, he weren't a million miles from what he was earning a month to what I was earning. The problem that's come in now is 
the salaries now have gone a million miles from the working class people. And if I'm being honest, the press don't like it either because back in the day, the press used to earn a few quid. But the truth of the matter is, Premier League's the most marketable league in the world. So why shouldn't the players earn the money? Yeah. As yeah. far as I'm concerned. So what you have to understand is that's the way it is. You earn good money, you earn a good salary, you can take care of your family. So of course you're going to come in for some criticism. Don't get involved. Get your head down and come through the yeah. other side. Yeah. That that documentary that of the the impossible job doctor. I've never seen it. Well, you? At the time it came, no, I've never came seen out it. as people like it's felt quite negative about Graham Taylor. We rewatched it a couple of years ago. He comes across as a like very noble kind of good man who's just in a bad circumstance, really. He was in a bad circumstance. I don't know any other manager that would have been in there at that time could have done anything different. Yeah. You've just had a team that's gone near enough to win the 1990 World Cup and basically the majority of that team has now finished playing for England. Yeah. You know, it was a rebuilding job. And it's, it's very difficult. It's like now. It's like saying, and this is what I don't understand in the game now, Onegora Solskjaer goes into Manchester United. How many managers have they changed now since, since Ferguson's left, right? The problem is, unless you have a plan for the next sort of five, six, seven years, when Fergie left, and Fergie's clever, that's why he was a top manager, right? <laughs> He left at the time. He knew that when they won their last league title, he got every ounce of that squad finished. Yeah. So it's a rebuilding job all the way. So therefore, if you're bringing in a manager now to do that, that is going to take some time to do. Yeah. But at the moment now, United are chopping and changing managers and they're not getting the balance right with the players coming in and this, that and the other. And so it's becoming a major problem. And so when you bring in four or five players on... 200 grand a week and the results aren't going, well, you get rid of the manager. But you bring another manager in and the same problem's still there because the same players are still there. Yeah. Um, back to the documentary, you come out of it really well and there's one, one of my favourite scenes in the whole documentary and you haven't seen this so you may not know this. No. But there's you and Gaza and you're pretending to be the manager and Gaza says, please play me, please play me, boss. And you're like, no, you're, I'm afraid you've just been really shit. We're going to have to drop you. And Gaza's like, oh, no, man. Yeah, sorry, you might as well fuck off kind of thing. It looked like you had a great relationship with Gaza. Well, I roomed room with Gaza and uh, in my playing career, I've only, I've only come across two, possibly three players who I'd call geniuses. And that would be Chris Wallard, Gary McAllister and Paul Gascoigne. And uh, he's, he's genuinely a genius. So I, I, I got on well with him. I, I thought he was a, a fantastic footballer. I loved the way that he just loved the game of football. And, and the only problem for Gaza was that outside of a football pitch, it didn't work for him. It just yeah. it, it, He only works on a football pitch. And all the kind of the training and the yeah. regiment around that. No, no, the training. He, he loves that. He loves training. He loves being on the training pitch. He loves being out playing football. But everything out, living life, normally doesn't work for him. Yeah. It just doesn't work for him, unfortunately. And it's it's sad. But when he was on a football pitch, when he was on a training ground, you know, you'd never see Gazza on a football pitch not smiling or training not smiling. And I, I felt sorry for him because... Like anybody who's going to be successful, and especially when you become to the level that he was, right? Remember, we, we leave the ground, we go home with our families, he has to leave in a boot of Mercedes, that, that he can't just walk out the ground. You've got to have good people around you, good family, good friends. And unfortunately for Gaza, he didn't have that. But why, why do you think they picked you to room with him? What was it about your personality that thought, this, this, this is <laughs> no, what Gaza needs? No, no, like. I think, no, you choose who you want to room with. Oh, really? Some, so it's some, a decision? Yeah, yeah, some, some players choose to room by themselves. Some choose to room. I mean, Gaza just got on well. I, you know, we 
we we like the banter, we liked a bit of fun, we were always messing about, but love football, we just got on really well. And you know, I I knew I knew Gaza and the generous side of Gaza, the kind art. You never meet a, a more kind hearted uh, but when I made my debut for England at Wembley, you have the choice after the game whether you can stay down or you, you can stay and have a night in London, have a night out or go back up because generally you had the next day off from your clubs. So I, I decided to stay down and Gaza said to me, what, what are you doing tonight, son? So I said, I'm, I'm going to take uh, my ex-wife at the time. We're going to go and see a show in the West End and go and have a meal. He said, how are you getting now? I said, uh, well, I hadn't organised it. He said, don't worry, Carlton, I'll sort it all out. Just tell me what time you'll be ready for. So we got down there, got ready, and when we got outside, there was massive white stretch limousine, <laughs> all flowers in there and Amazing. champagne and everything. And uh, and then when I, when I got back, I said, how much do I owe you? He said, no, Mr Gascoigne, he sort that all out for you. Oh and that, man, and, and that and that's and that's how Gaza was. He, yeah. he's, he's a generous bloke, and and he's you know, like I said, his life revolved around football, playing yeah. football, being on the football pitch, and training. And once outside of that, it didn't work for Gaza. It didn't quite work for him. Going back to that World Cup qualifying campaign, it all kind of comes down to Holland versus England in Rotterdam. I think you started that game. Yeah. Looking back now, I've well, watched the highlights a couple of times. Was something dodgy going on there? Does well, no. Feel- I, 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 actually, I was annoyed about what happened about that because we played Holland at Wembley and um, we should have beat him. If you remember, um, uh, what's the, the little bandy bastard in midfield? Broke Gaza's cheekbone, should have got sent off. For Holland in the in the middle of the park, should have got sent off. Des Walker, he pulled over Mars back way outside the box. It was yeah. never a penalty, so it was all kind of a bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I played centre midfield, and Incia played on the right hand side, and I got man of the match. And Dick Avigar, who's the manager of Holland, said I was the best English player. Yeah. I don't really know what happened. I've never spoke to Incy about it or whatever. And it had serious implications onwards for me. Um, but before the game in, in Rotterdam, Graham Taylor had come to me and said, like, listen, Incy wants to play inside. So Incy obviously had, had obviously been to see the gaffer. And I said to him, but I can't play on the right-hand side. And genuinely, I can't. I can yeah. fill a job. You know, I can play at centre-back because that's my natural position. I can play in centre midfield because I've played there loads of times before. But on the right-hand side, I can only do a job. Yeah, and that is it. But if the manager's asking you to do a job for your country, you, you do a job, right? So I wasn't happy about that because I felt we... I think we only needed a draw. Yeah. Right? We only needed a draw. So I, I, I felt the way that the Dutch team had to play that night would suit me playing better inside because the game was going to be stretched. Yeah. And as, a, as the game unfolded, that is exactly what had happened. And I'm sitting there at half-time thinking, Gaffer, you've made the wrong decision here. Because what he did at half-time, I, I understood he pulled me to one side. It was nil-nil. We should have, I think, Tony De Rigo had hit the post. Yeah. We were the better team. I think they only had one chance in the first half. We were the better team. But then he pulled me as we were walking down, Graham, and he said, listen, Carlton, I need to be more offensive, right? Uh, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. I've got the two De Boer brothers here. That Neither one of them have had a kick, yeah. right? So, and we're, and we're in the game. So I don't, I didn't quite get it, but I said fine. But in doing what he did, he opened the game up too much because Andy Sinton was great going forward, but he couldn't do what I was doing going backwards. Yeah. And so he opened the game up as a as an end to end game, which if you're going to open up as an end to end game, the one person you need on the park 
is me. He's got legs. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But having said that, Merce went through and had a great chance, and without a shadow of doubt, there is no way in the world which anybody can ever say that it's not a penalty, and if it's and, it, and if the referee does not give a penalty, it has to be a sending off. Yeah. It cannot be a free kick. It just can't be. Shearer. Sinton. Can Flack get there first? Flack can get there first for England. That's got to be a penalty. Penalty given for England. The Dutch are claiming outside. The referee looked hard at the linesman. The linesman said inside. No. Has he given a penalty? A yellow card has gone to uh, Donald Coleman. I think he's changed his mind. He's changed his mind and given a free kick outside. Ryan, is that not a sending off offence under the rules of the game? Absolutely. Let's just determine first, though. That's got to be, hasn't it? I that's, mean, that's he's a through with a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Red card. He's given a yellow. Was that what was that like watching that from the bench? It must. I was. Been it was terrible because I I felt we were the better side. Yeah. Without a shadow of doubt, I've watched the game over. I felt we were the better side over the ninety minutes, and that's not with blinkered goggles on. Anybody who watches the game, we were the better side. But circumstances change games, don't they? And and Ad, Ad, he got sent off. Coolman there. Uh, whether it, one. And again, if you look at the free kick we had uh, at the opposite end, we don't get to retake our free kick when they encroach. Right, we're a, a judge of encroaching. They get to retake the free kick again, and unfortunately for H, Dave Seaman, when he was trying to set the wall again, right, he takes the free kick quickly. Yeah, and he shouldn't have been allowed to retake the free kick. So there were so many things that just went against us in that old campaign. Yeah, and and it all it's culminated in that in that night in Rotterdam. Yeah, and how was Graham Taylor after the game? Do you remember much about that dressing room? It must have just been. Yeah, no, it was it was. It was... <laughs> Do you know what? He, he, he was pleased with the players, the players' commitment, because we went there to win the game and I thought we played well enough to win the game. You know, it was, it was like I said to you, it was just circumstances from start to finish with having to play the first three games at Wembley or the first two games at Wembley, having to finish the last few games away from home. It just all conspired against us. Um, Things could have been so different. Oh, yeah. England would have gone to USA. Yeah. Graham Taylor would have probably stayed in the job. Yeah. And I'd got to go. To, I'd got to go to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Did you dream? Like we, that must have just been. Yeah, yeah. Did you watch the World Cup that summer, or did you try? Yeah, no, I still watch the World Cup. You can't you, listen if you love football. You love football, don't you? Yeah, it is. It is what it is, isn't it? You know. So um, it was sad, but these things happen. Listen, in life, right? You have your your ups and your downs. What makes you as a person? What makes you is how you deal with your downs. Not not when everything's going great and everybody's slapping you on the back and this, that and the other. It's how you deal with when things are not good for you and and, and disappointments and whatever. It's how, how you come back from it. One of the stars of that World Cup, as you may have seen, was Thomas Brolin, who, yeah. of course, comes to Leeds. Yeah. Were you excited? Oh, well, I didn't, I didn't really know Thomas. Obviously, I played against him in the European Championships when he was playing for Sweden. I think he just went to Parma. He was becoming a top player at the time. So I didn't really know him, uh, but he came. He was a great character, but he, he, he just wasn't fit when he came. He really wasn't. I mean, he came, I think it, it, it was, a, it was a, a rash signing, and I think they, Leeds needed to make a marquee signing, 
and he Felt came, like a big name. yeah, and he came, and he wasn't fit. He come, he'd, he'd, I think he'd broken his leg while he was at Palmer, and he'd never really recovered. Yeah, by the time he left, he wouldn't have fit in a marquee. <laughs> no, it was massive, wasn't it? It was massive. But what a character! What a yeah, great yeah. bloke! Really? Just, yeah, really? what a but great are you not like? Come on, mate, we're here to win football games. Oh like... no, I used to go. I used to have a go at him all the time. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair to Thomas, he wasn't wasn't that he, he didn't try. He tried his damnedest, but he he was just cropped. Yeah. Good? I don't know how he passed the medical. <laughs> you played with another kind of 90s legend there, Tony Yaboa. Tony was brilliant. Tony was absolutely brilliant. Loved him to death. Great, great footballer. Some was... of the goals he scored. Oh, no, he was, just... pheno- was phenomenal. He was, he, he was a phenomenal goal scorer. Anything that played into him, in and around the box, he was like, boom. And it stuck to him, and he had a big old ass. So once, <laughs> once he stuck that ass into you, if you got too tight and he spun you on that left hand side, forget it, because he only used to move the ball half a yard, and then it was violent. Yeah. Everything was violent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But he, he could play. We heard a thing we, that he used to go out with the team and he didn't drink, and they'd all drink, and every time they had a pint, he'd have a roast dinner. Did you ever go out on No, the... I never knew that. I know one sto- one, st- one of the stories was I used to have a, a drink the night before the game. Yeah. So he said to me, we finished dinner and we were playing uh, Monaco in the Champions League. So he said to me, where are you going to see? I said, I'm going up the rooftop bar to have a drink. So he said, uh, I come with you. I said, Tony, I don't think that's a good idea, mate. I said, uh, I know the gaffer knows I have a drink, but I said, I'm not getting involved in it. I don't, no worries, no worries. So he comes. So I'm having a glass of wine, just sitting there, beautiful views, looking over Monaco. We got we have a tough game against them. I mean, they've got a good side. You know, you've got Blanc in there, uh, Deschamps, whatever. They've yeah. got a good side. So we've got a tough game on our hands tomorrow. He's playing up front on his own. So I said to him, you need to get some rest, son. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a tough gig tomorrow. So I, he starts having uh, a brandy. Yeah. Right? I said to him, Tony, I really don't think, <laughs> I really, I really don't think this is a good idea, mate. Do you know what I mean? So he must have had about four large brandies. Right? And I think so. He's a bit walking downstairs. a bit like... I said, you get yourself a fucking bed and don't say nothing to the gaffer. Uh, the next day, he scored an hat-trick. Right? So, <laughs> in the first half, and he's shouting in the dressing room, it's the brandy, it's the brandy. I'm going, Tony, don't fuck that <laughs> <laughs> the gaffer's going to be at me. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, having a drink before a game, I've got to ask you about this story. The New Year's Eve, 1993. Yeah. You go for a quiet drink in the pub the day before a game against QPR, lost the road with uh, Chris Waddle and Chris Woods. You end up in a nightclub with Rod Stewart. At, w- at what point does Rod Stewart join you in that day? No, well, I'll tell you what, it's an un- unbelievable story. So we're playing at one o'clock kickoff against QPR. So we've come down the, we've come, we've come down the day before. Trevor Francis lives in London, so he'd gone home. So Des was captain and Des said, right, uh, like we'll have a drink in, in my suite later. So Woodsy and Waddler said, oh, well, there's a pub on the corner, Carlton. You, you're not fancy having a couple there. <laughs> So I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter to me. It's, it's, it's normal night before the game. So, you know, a couple of beers in the afternoon, get me head down, I'm ready to go, and I'm good to go. So I come downstairs. So I've got, I've got, I'm sponsored by Mizuno at the time. So I've come down, I'm Mizuno dead to tail, trainers, socks, tracksuit, <laughs> bright blue tracksuit. And I, 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 I walk down, and Woodsy and Waddler are in a reception, and they're both in their civvies. So I'm thinking to myself, well, this ain't fucking right. <laughs> Why, why have them two? Because Woodsy he normally comes down in his tracksuit and Waddler. So I'm thinking, well, I'm right, but I thought maybe it's New Year's Eve and senior pros, I don't know. But it just didn't seem right. 
I said, surely it's New Year's Eve. I said, surely everybody we should play for England midweek. Everybody's going to recognise. Oh, don't worry, CP, it'll be all right. So we walked in. It's like a nightclub going on in the afternoon. And the pub, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Going crazy. The, the landlord walks over. He said, Carlton, Chris Woods, whatever. Oh, the drinks are on the house. I said, what, what, what happened to nobody fucking recognising us? <laughs> so so we, we end up having a few drinks. And then Woodsy and Waddler say, what, what, what about heading into town? I said, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, we can't be doing that in London on New Year's Eve. I just can't be doing that. So I said, no, he said, we've got this place, right? F and the Cuckoo's brothers, the doorman on the place. We can get downstairs. It's it, There's no bother. We're all right. And this, that, and the other. And I went, ah. so I got a coin out and I flicked it. And Well, I flicked it until basically it come out that I was going. <laughs> <laughs> so we've ended up in this, in this club that was down underneath. And then it come into midnight. So we've all gone in the kitchen phone the wives, you know, ex-wives, and say, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, we're in bed, big game tomorrow, one o'clock, kick-off, yeah, happy new year, see you later, boom, and they're back out, this, that, and the other. And then they come, they come, they come back out, it's like about half 12, quarter one, oh, we're going to Tramps. I said, no fucking way, we're going to Tramps, no way. I said, they won't they won't let me in in my tracksuit anyhow on New Year's Eve, and they've said, well, funny enough, we've already rang. They said you can get in. I said, oh, no. But it's too late now. It's quarter to one in the morning, isn't it? It's, uh, there's no it's point. In, in for a penny, in for a pound now. And <laughs> you might as well just go and enjoy yourself now, isn't it? So we've ended up in tramps. Right, I'm on the dance floor. Everybody's in dinner jackets and everything. I'm in the minute. I'm trying to dancing away. Somebody come up to me and said, have you got a game tomorrow? I said, don't fucking worry. It's only QPR. <laughs> So the next thing is, I, I walk up to the bar, I see this bloke that Woodsy's talking to, and I've I've just gone, who the fuck's that? I said, needs to get his hair sorted, like, and all that, and Woodsy's gone, that's fucking Rod Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the worst thing that could have happened for Amazing. us. Amazing. Because all the paparazzi were outside. Oh, man. So as I'm coming out, I'm absolutely steaming. Woodsy's having to carry me on the back. <laughs> coming out like boom, oh. boom, boom. So I get back to the hotel. I'm rooming with Brighty. So I get back to the hotel. I'm completely out of it, being sick everywhere and whatever. In the morning, Brighty's had to go and get me eye drops and all of this. And, and then so Trevor Francis starts naming the team. Number one, Kevin Pressman. <laughs> He's not fucking playing. <laughs> Number four, Carlton Palmer. Number 11, Waddler's not playing. Both of them failed fitness tests and never fucking told me. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that one. They went, knew all along. They, they weren't, weren't playing. playing. They weren't playing. Oh, weren't playing. So I get to the ground. I'm sweating. I'm trying to drink water, trying to rehydrate, this, that, and the other. I'm sat in the tunnel. There's about half an hour to go to kick off. I'm sat in the tunnel. I've been sick in the tunnel, in, in the dugout, right? I'm sat there. The lads have come out, see, you've got half an hour, mate. Oh, for fuck's sake. But, again, it is what it is. It's match day, yeah. right? So I've done what I've done. I can't let the rest of the lads down. We're on an unbelievable run, I think, with 16, 17 games. So I can't let the lads down. I've got, I've got, a shot. I've got to sort myself out and I've sort my shit. So Des has looked at me and he said to me, Carlton, do me a favour. Just follow Les everywhere, right? That's it. <laughs> Just follow Les. So, fuck you now. But we ended up winning 2-0 and I got man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> but them two, them two twats on the sideline, every time I've edded the ball, I don't know they're going like this to me. <laughs> and I'm going, 
So the game, the game finishes. This was hilarious. So the game finishes. We get on the bus, right? So I've gone right on the bed. I'm dehydrated, everything, getting all the water down me. Boom, boom, boom. So Trevor Francis comes on the bus and he goes, well, looks like, and he's looking straight at me. He says, oh, it looks like, one or two of you could be in trouble tomorrow with your missuses. And I said, well, I don't know what you're looking at me for, Gaffer. I was on my room, and if you, unless you got any fucking pictures, that's where I was. So it's funny you should say that, CP, because you're on the front page of the News of the World. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. Yeah. Did, you, did you buy the paper the next day? We, we, well, we're in a bit of trouble, weren't we, with the missuses, because, you know, obviously we told them we're in the hotel. <laughs> but, yeah, I was on the front page. <laughs> So, the sponsors were happy. Uh, yeah, I bet Mizuno <laughs> loved it. <laughs> so Wilkinson leaves and then George Graham comes along yeah. at Leeds. And that's his first job after being suspended from football. Yeah. How did the players react to their That's also quite a manager with a reputation. I heard things about George before, so I wasn't a fan of George. George is one of those, and I heard about it, he was a, he's a bit of a bully. Yeah. Right, and he believes that if he if he knocks the top player or somebody who thinks they're the top player in line, then everybody else would fall into place. So you would think that I would be a George Graham type of player. Yeah, um, he come in the first day, and this is why I don't. I, I agree with players now not signing incentivized contracts. I signed an incentivized contract when we went to Leeds because I backed myself to play. So I was on two grand a game and two grand uh, for being club captain. So, you know, straight away now, he comes in first day and says, I'm not playing. So I'm six grand a week down, plus my two grand of club captain. Yeah. Straight away. For no reason. Yeah. That's why, you know, he said to me, you're a good player, but this is this is what I do. And he said to me, if you've got any arguments, speak to the Arsenal boys. <laughs> yeah, that's Man. very true. That's now, an I, way now, to start. A... Yeah, so I never, I never actually thought he would do that because I was on yeah. a four-year contract. Um, and I never actually thought he did that. And then when it came around to the opening day of the season, you know, and you're not playing, it's the worst feeling in the world, you know, yeah. for me. And uh, I wasn't prepared to sit around and not play. So I went to see him and I said to him, obviously, you don't fancy me, so let's sort it out, let me go. So he said, yeah. Uh, and so I, my agent told me Joe Royal uh, wanted me at Everton. Uh, Harry Redknapp uh, was interested in me at West Ham. He says, no, no, no. He says, you're not going anywhere where you can embarrass me. He said, you can either go to the Championship or you could go to Southampton, who's seven points adrift at the bottom of the league. And that's how, that's what? how, that's how he was. Wow. And, then I, and then I got a phone call. What, embarrass him in the sense that you would go there and do really well? Yeah, and... yeah, of course, because he knew. He knew. So, it, so I... why wasn't he playing you if he thought you were... Yeah, but that's what he does. He feels that if he could... And, and, and Platy tried to do the same thing when he took over Forrest, when he come in. He thought he could do the same to me. So it was like, you know, not the, the character or the person that they perceive to be the big one in the dressing right. room and all the rest will fall into line. Oh, which right. they, And that's why those type of managers don't work now. That's why yeah. they're, they're out now. They can't, you know, no disrespect to the soonnesses and people like that. Obviously, they wouldn't want to work now, but they couldn't get back into work because those type of managers yeah. wouldn't work now. Is it, when does that ever work? Like, Hullet did it to Shearer, didn't he, when he came no, to Newcastle? Yeah, but it, it did work. I could imagine it working back in the day when salaries weren't so big and players needed the money to play. So I could imagine it back in the day you wouldn't go against the manager to do that. But, like, this day and age, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Yeah. Just wouldn't work. So you went to Southampton. I didn't really want to go to Southampton, I'll be honest with you. I, as I say, I work for people. 
I met Dave Jones because he'd, he'd agreed a deal with, with the club and I really liked him. I got on well with him. They moved ever Well, it's funny enough, we, we were there, we sat talking and, and, and we couldn't agree a deal because the wages at Southampton to the wages at Leeds United are a million miles apart. So Dave Jones said to me, would you come to Southampton? I said, oh, 100%, Dave, because I like you. I, 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 we really got on well. I liked what he wanted to do. The players they had there, the players he said he was going to bring in, I thought it could be exciting. Hmm. Um, so I said to him, if you can if you can get anywhere near Dave, then we can do something. So he said, let me speak to the chairman and I'll come back to you. So he phoned me the next day. He said, can you fly down? He said, we've come up with something. So I went down. It wasn't... It wasn't ideal. I was taking a four grand a week drop in salary, but he gave me an extra year on my contract and promised me that if I do well, that they would they would straighten me out. So yeah. it was hilarious because I said, I made my mind up to go. And then so I said, well, while we are finishing the deal, I said to the chairman, I said, uh, can I have 100 grand for being in Europe? So he said, what do you mean? He said, we're eight points adrift at the bottom of the league. <laughs> I said, well, if we're eight points adrift at the bottom of the league, it doesn't fucking matter, does it? Just stick it in. <laughs> 100 grand for being in Europe. But I knew what Dave Jones had told me. He was going to get David Erston, he was going to get Tron Solvert in. And I looked at the players that were there, you know, Dodzy, Bernali. I, I looked at Matthew Oakley. I looked at Kevin Richardson coming in. I, I thought, you know what? We get this thing going. You know, you got Matt Letizier. Let me tell you, if you play the system like we played and we got Matty fit and you play him in the top half of the field in the Premier League, he's one dangerous person. He's yeah. finishing his next to none. You know, there's not many people in the Premier League who can finish like Matt. And you give him half a yard, he'll spot runners in, corners, free kicks. I thought, you know what? I fancy us. And we, we got it going and we were rolling. And then I remember I was suspended at, at Sheffield Wednesday. Six games to go. Win four out of the six, we're in Europe. And the gaffer walked in and said, we're safe. And he killed, killed you. Because oh. they, they were all on bonuses to stay up. <laughs> <laughs> and people ask me, why didn't, you, why, didn't, why didn't you get a bonus to stay up? But why would I be going there to get a bonus to stay up? I wasn't it, going there to get relegated. <laughs> so. Is it true when you went the first day, you sat in Matt Letizia's seat in the... Well, no, what happened was, and it, 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 and it didn't start off well, but the, the kit man puts your kit, yeah. Out, right? So he put it in Matt's place yeah. or nearby Matt. Do you think that's Dave Jones trying to go, right, upset, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but what, what happens is on the first... All the lads were genuinely pleased to see me. They didn't believe I was going to come. Um, and they said that when I went in there, Ken McCann was in there, Barry Fennison, and they all made me feel welcome. The problem is now is when, the, when you go to a football club the first day, you've got to set the impression of how you are, yeah. right? You've got to, they've got to know what you're about. Do you know what I mean? As a yeah. person, as a player, because that sets the tone for the rest of it. So I can't allow Matt to walk in the dressing room and speak to me like that. I just can't allow it. It just, it just can't happen. So that set us off on the, on, on the wrong tone, really. You know, we, we, we had a word said, to be, to be honest, you know, because I... He says... No, I, I time mean, to fuck off. I said, you're not getting changed here today. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it amazing but but afterwards and and you know this is and i could show you the text afterwards when i when i had the heart uh problem and i had heart surgery matt letizia was one of the first person persons to text me and i said to him matt I, I said i've always had respect for you so i i didn't understand why you got in the in front of the banter talking about you know i i, I was 
you know, one of the worst players to play for England. I said, well, get involved. But this is, this. unfortunately, this is the media. If you want to work in the media now, you've got to have a big social media following and you come up with shit, right, like Robbie Savage and talk <laughs> shit and have a big social media following and then you work in the media. That's, that's the way they are. Everybody, yeah. you know, but I said to him, you don't need to do that. I've had respect for you. You've allowed the media now to bring something between you. I've get, you, you've turned around and said what you've said to me, right? But then when I went on Sky Sports, they shut me down because Matt works for Sky Sports. I said, but, oh, so you're allowing Matt to have his say, but you're not allowing me to have my say. And I'm saying, right, that I'm not saying, because I, I, I've got a lot of time for Matt Letizia and I think he was a great player and I never said anything other than that. I just said that he can say what he said about me. All I'm saying to him is, and to you, I finished my career and I know I got the best out of my career, right? He's finished his career and I think he would have regrets. He must have, if he's yep. being honest. And then the, the media tried to make it out. But it all come because of Matt's initial comments, which we've now squashed it and, and moved on. He knows I've got a great deal of respect for him as a, a player and what he achieved. I'm not one of these people who, who will say something just for the sake of it to get uh, attention. But, you know, as I said, he had a pop at me and, I, and I've said what I've said. You know, at the end of the day, if it was, he nearly got an England call-up when I went back there. And I got all the lads going and got him going. He got fit and started buying into it. And he nearly got... And he should have been called back into the yeah. England squad. Yeah. He should have been. With all due respect to Southampton and no disrespect, but if he'd have gone to Chelsea or he'd gone to Man United and he was playing regularly, he would have got in the England team. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, you don't get... If you look over the years, you don't get players playing for England who really don't play for a top four club. Outside the top four, there's very rare you get players who, you know, might get the odd England cap, but not get 60 or 70 caps if you don't play for a top four team. That's yeah. a fact, right? But you've got to take yourself out of the comfort zone into that period where you might not get selected. So you've got to have a look at yourself and, and change what you're doing, you know? Yeah. And, and if you look at the top players... Ronaldo, when he went to Real Madrid, if he didn't track back under Mourinho, he wouldn't play. So he had to change yeah. his game. And you, um, the, another player who was a big character you played with, you went to Nottingham Forest, Pierre Van Hoydonk, went on strike. Yeah, I went in a bad situation there. I can't imagine you would have liked that. No, well, I, I, actually, what happened there was I was, and I actually feel a bit bad about this, Dave Jones had done brilliant for me. I'd had a great first season and... He'd offered me a new contract and I, I signed, I, you know, I had a four-year contract. They redid my contract, but my ex-wife was pregnant with my boy. And, and so when Ron Atkinson was on the beach in Barbados with Irving Scholar, they're revving him up. He's had a drink. He's taken the, the Forest job, but it, Forest was in so much of a mess. But I wanted to come back up north. He'd done a deal, I think, with Southampton. Dave Jones come to me and said, what do you want to do? And I explained the situation, so he let me go. So I felt I let Dave Jones down a little bit and I went into a situation which is the worst I've ever come across in football. It was horrible. Really? Yeah, what was it, it was like? horrible. It was horrible. It was just horrible. The place was a complete mess. Van Oydonk was... Um, he was so, he's somebody I don't like now. I don't like him... Uh, as a person, I don't like his character. He's got this arrogance about him, and he and he and he ruined the, he ruined the old football club really just by the way the so way did that it all he come did. from that. From yeah, it created it created a major problem. Bad feeling within the dressing room, bad feeling within the club, bad feeling with the supporters, and it was the worst decision I've made 
to go there and I couldn't get out there quick enough. I guess you couldn't have found out what was going on. I wouldn't have known. I don't think Ron knew till he went in there. I didn't think Ron knew. Um, what, when he goes on strike, I mean, what are all the players saying about it? Like, what's the... Well, it's, it's a difficult one because, you know, what can you do about it? You yeah. know, he's, he's the best player. He's, he, score, he scores goals. He does whatever and he decides to go on strike. And no player... Listen, and I, I don't believe this and I've never done it. I've never done it in my career. I've always said to chairman, you don't look after me at the time. When my contracts come, come up, right, there's going to be a major problem. I've never gone and knocked on the chairman's door to ask him to redo my contract. Never. Never gone to ask a manager to redo my contract. I've signed my contract, I honour my contract, right? Yep. You decide to change it, you decide to change the terms, that's fine. When my contract's coming to the end and you come to speak to me, I'll get what I deserve to. So I don't get when players sign a contract, sign for the money they sign for, then a club comes in for them, right, then they down tools or refuse to play. That is bang out of order. If you're going to go, if the club, like, say, for Raheem Sterling, who was badly advised from Liverpool, yeah. right, and that tarnished him for a little bit, yeah. right, Liverpool were always going to sell him. So yeah. his agent should have just told him, bide your time, sit yeah, there, yeah. don't get involved, let them up and up, and up the ante, you're always going to go. Right yep. now, I know I know some chairman come and they say to you, and some managers because it does go on. They'll give you a phone call and they'll say to you, right, well, listen, if you want to come, you're going to have to cause a bit of bollocks. And and, <laughs> and, 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 and and some managers and chairmen say that to players. Yeah, but it's out of order. Yeah, if you sign your contract and you're happy to sign your contract, unless that club is doing you a disservice, right? Yeah. But you'll always have the last say. So even if they're doing a disservice, you're playing well, you're scoring goals, and they haven't renewed your contract. They haven't given you the pay rise. At some point, your contract's going to come to an end. So just bide your time. You sign the contract. Yeah. The club doesn't have to sell you just because somebody's come in and made an offer for you. The club have bought you for you to do well. So they want you to do well. And now you've done well, you're holding them to ransom, right, because another club's coming for you. What well, a lot of load of bollocks. So when Van Hooydonk, did were you there when he came back? No, I'd gone there. All oh, right, yeah. I'd gone. I'd so gone that's the fascinating country. when he scored and no one would celebrate. No, no. Well, they shouldn't celebrate it with him. And uh, I mean, it, it it should be forever be a tarnish on his his career or, and and a slight on him as a person. Whatever he feels was right or wrong, he was under contract at a football club that he signed for. Simple. Um, you played long after uh, Nottingham Forest at Coventry, but we were running out of time. There's one thing we really want to ask you. Winning, come down with me. Oh, right. What? <laughs> so what was your signature dish? I did sea bass. <laughs> I did sea bass. I actually didn't want to do it, you know. What happened was I got, I got a, uh, a phone call from my agent to say uh, they wanted to do a come down, you know, football before the World Cup. Yeah. A, I wanted to know who was going to be on because it, 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 if I, if you don't yeah, you know the people, exactly, <laughs> it's going to be a fucking problem when you've had a few drinks with it. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. Chris Woods, Rod yeah. Stewart and yeah. Matt Lattis. So, so, so my idea was in my mind, because I was in Dubai at the time, I thought, you know what, I didn't say anything to me missus, but I thought, right, you know what, I mean, I'm just going to order food in. That would be it, wouldn't it? So then my missus... So I've got a mate who owns a restaurant who's a Michelin star and he's a chef, right? So she she's decided to come up with this fucking... 
And so they sent me this menu through an email while I was in Dubai. I said, well, who the fuck's going to cook that? Because <laughs> I don't cook. I only go in the kitchen unless I ne if I need ice for my drink or something. <laughs> like that. Do you know what I mean? And then what happened was then, after that, I kind of get into that uh, mode where now I'm doing it. So if I do it, I've got to win it. That's yeah, as simple as it is. So by the by the time you come around, my, my wife and the kids were fed up of sea bass. <laughs> <laughs> she said to me, if I ever see a fucking other sea bass again. I tell you what, that proves your philosophy. You work hard, you work at it, you put in the hours, you can pull it off like you want. Oh, yeah, absolutely, three, absolutely, absolutely. I don't. Footballers? Sorry? Who were the three? That... Yeah, no, it was a great, it was a great show. Jo uh, John Fashionu, uh, Frank Worthington and Razor Ruddock. Who was oh, the wow. worst? <laughs> Razor Ruddock almost won MasterChef recently. No, he did. That surprised yeah. me. I watched him on there. Yeah, he was well, good. I, I watched really him good. on there. I watched him on there. He done really well, Razor. Yeah. Yeah, he's a top bloke, though. Him. Um, we asked one final question of all our guests. If we could give you a button and if you pressed it, you'd go back in time to the 1st of January 1990 and get the opportunity to live it all again, would you? No. No? no? I can honestly say to you this, right, is I'm, I'm a kind of matter-of-fact person. Things end, you move on. I always planned for life after football. I had planned other things. I was into media, I had my restaurant and this, that and the other. No, I absolutely... I, I had a great time, really enjoyed it, great memories, great times, but you know what? Time's moved on. I, I'm happy now. You know, I couldn't play in this day and age because, like I said, they're all fucking boring bastards. <laughs> 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 I couldn't play in this day. I could play. I could go and play for Chris Wilder in Sheffield United. Yeah, yeah. I, could go, I could go play for him now. Yeah, because they look like they have what we had in the nineties. You know, with the banter yeah. and whatever. But no, I'd I had a great time, and, and 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 times moved on. I'm in a different phase of my life that that I really enjoy, and uh, everything's meant to be, isn't it? Perfect. Brilliant, Carlton Palmer. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Carlton Palmer. I'm going to say it, maybe my favourite interview we've done of a footballer. Carlton Palmer does not give a shit, does he? I love him. Why isn't he a pundit? Because I think he just doesn't pull any punches. He just says what he thinks. I love that about him. It was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it was so fascinating. Do you know what? I know there's been this stuff about Luke Chadwick and um, I think it's all over. And um, obviously there was the Jason Lee situation. And I think... Carlton Palmer, you can see it in, you know, the way he talks about it. You can see he was affected by the criticism and people saying he wasn't good enough to play for England and stuff. And you do forget how impactful what people say in the media about players must be on the players. Do you know what I mean? And how you've worked your whole life from the age of whatever Carlton Palmer was when he first kicked a ball at the age of four to play for England, which is amazing. And then just people are saying you're crap at football, and it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing is, as well, like you forget, Carlton Palmer was at the top of the game. He was playing in England's top league. He represented his country numerous times, and it must be difficult. I thought when your career's over, that that kind of body of work is there, and and it's still getting criticised. And for Carlton, he, there's nothing he can do about that anymore. Except yeah. maybe come on this podcast and defend himself, which I think he did very capably. Yeah, I've always been interested by you know elite sports football being one of them is it's arguably the sort of most autocratic thing in existence in that you're good enough or you're not like there's there's yeah. no hiding anywhere and then to play for England is essentially saying you're one of the best 23 players for your country at that moment in time so to then play for your country for that number of times the level at which you are brilliant at the thing that you do 
to kind of be beyond reproach to an extent. You're like, well, this yeah. guy played for over a decade, hundreds and hundreds of games. He got some 20 something England caps. So if you're the worst player that ever played for England, you're still in the top, like whatever 1% of exactly. footballers that ever played in England. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're the worst person to ever win an Olympic gold medal. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, fucking hell, God, gutted. <laughs> And he's not even, he's not close to being the worst player who played. Also, I'd, I'd like to add to my comments. I do now feel bad about what I said about John Stones earlier. <laughs> I, I'm going to edit that bit out earlier and people are going to wonder, oh my God, what did he say about John Stones? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I also, and obviously at the time uh, we're recording this, obviously people listen to these at different times. It's kind of the point at which uh, a lot of people are watching the Michael Jordan documentary. And obviously it's, it's weird to compare Carlton Palmer to Michael Jordan. But what the Michael Jordan documentary really shows you is just how hard you have to be mentally to deal with being a top-level elite sportsman. And you get that when you speak to someone. You get it when you speak to all footballers, but certainly when we were doing that interview, you got the feeling like, this person is psychologically so tough. I wouldn't survive two minutes in a dressing room. Yeah, and I think even more so, and he sort of touches on, on it in the interview, when you aren't blessed with, say, natural ability in a way that he, by his own admission, wasn't, the work rate and the work ethic you have to put in as a result to make mm. up for that is just off the charts. And that I feel like that doesn't ever get recognised or doesn't get the recognition no. that it should. Well, it's like, you know, you get these players like Gary Neville or someone who's not Paul Scholes, is he? But do you know what? It's, it's almost more of an achievement, you know, and I, I know it kind of the comparison comes up in the interview, but it's more of an achievement to be Carlton Palmer than it is to be Paul Gascoigne in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're you're born with it if you're Paul Gascoigne. I know obviously Paul Gascoigne's worked really hard and he's trained and et cetera. So it's all an achievement. But it's like people say Kevin Keegan wasn't naturally talented. He psychologically fought his way there. I find that kind of the most impressive in sports people because yeah. it's so far from what I'm like. And I know this is such a strange time, obviously, we're living in a global pandemic that I never never thought would happen, but I never also thought that Carlton Palmer would warn me about the the pandemic that's coming because he lived in China. Oh, yeah. And when we did that interview, he'd come back and he said, I'm not allowed to go back because of the this outbreak of coronavirus is happening uh, in and around Shanghai. And that was when I first realised, oh, wow, this is serious. <laughs> so... <laughs> Not only is it weird to be living in a global pandemic, but yeah. the Colton Palmer warned me about it. <laughs> um, thank you, Colton. It was a brilliant interview. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Um, now, um, how can people get in touch? Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. Okay, now, the quiz, Michael. Uh, yeah, quiz time. Before that, very quickly, hot off the press. Yeah. Miles Jacobson has, re has replied. <gasps> no. Did Great. you just text him? Do you want to hear his response? Yeah. Yes. I can't remember what I did a couple of weeks ago, let alone 1997. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll ask around. I don't think we've ever had players dying, but certainly had career-ending injuries and insurance payouts. We'll check about the faith healer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brilliant. Wow. Brilliant. So, pay, the, so in, I, I, I thought the insurance payout thing wasn't true either, but that, that sounds like there's the seed of maybe some truth there. Yeah, whether or not people die and that happens is still still up for debate. And then uh, whilst we've been talking, uh, you mentioned in, in the start of the show uh, an anagram for Harold Bishop. Do you, do you, I, I've made one. Do you oh, want yeah. an anagram oh, yeah, for yeah, Harold yeah, Bishop? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. A topical Harold, Harold Bishop anagram? Boris Halo PhD. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Such a random collection of words. <laughs> tweet that. I reckon you'll probably get some retweets. Why don't we tweet that from uh, Quickly Kevin and everyone can retweet it and people will think we're saying something really clever. Um, <laughs> right, the quiz. What I was going to do, uh, obviously we normally pick a, a game that relates to the guest in question, but I'm going to give you guys a choice because, again, anagram related, whilst we've been chatting, I have found uh, a series of anagrams of '90s footballer names, so you can have you can have a countdown style yeah, anagram uh, shootout, or you can have a classic starting eleven uh, from Carlton should Palmer's we do anagrams? career. Yeah, let's do anagrams. Mix it up. Right, so we'll do uh, a countdown conundrum style shootout. This is a golden goal situation. First person to buzz in and gets it wins. Yeah. Thirty seconds on the clock. Have you got a pen and paper? Yeah. yeah. Your word is evil Brazilian afro. And your time starts now. And this is a nineties footballer. A nineties footballer. Um, I'm struggling here. Yeah, this is really tough. This is evil Brazilian afro. Your time is up. Your time oh. is up. Okay. So that one, we'll call that a test round. Uh, perhaps I'll give you I'll give you a clue after every 10 seconds. Okay, yeah, cool. Right. Good, good, cool. Okay. That one was that was uh, Fabrizio Ravinelli. Oh my god. I can't tell you how far I was oh, from yeah. getting that right. Next one, sudden death again. Every 10 seconds I'll give you an extra clue, but your your word is or your words pink german beds. Your time starts now. Okay, first clue. Yeah. A, du- a Dutch player. Dennis Bergkamp. Oh. Correct. Yeah. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp, yes. There we go. Josh, uh, what song? Well, I think there's only one person we can end with. Mr. Dario G. All right, that's it for this week. And that's it from Carlton Palmer. We'll be back next week with the end of this series. It'll be the quiz with Matthew Crosby and Ed Gamble. Exciting times. Until then... Robbie Slater, see you later. I have something to say. It's better to burn out than to fade away. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. 
My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.